Breaking news from the Washington Post. Biden's stimulus showers money on Americans, sharply cutting poverty and favoring individuals over businesses. I think that North Korean state TV would probably blush at that headline. And maybe, maybe my memory is going. Maybe I'm becoming a little slow like Joe Biden. But as I recall, when Donald Trump did exactly the same thing, the coverage was just a little bit different. Democracy dies in darkness. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment from Friday is from Eric Gomez, who says that the P in Saki is silent. It's the same with the P in President Biden. This is very true. You have White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, and you have White House resident Joe Biden, who is just sort of being scooted along in the hallways from the TV room to the dining room, back to bed for about, about I don't know, six o'clock at night or so, while our elite establishment runs the country. Not a very safe time for our traditions and liberties. You know, speaking of safety, you got to go check out LifeLock. With the tax deadline approaching, it's important to take steps to avoid being a victim of tax scams. Cyber criminals have used social security numbers to file fake returns in an attempt to steal refunds. File early, be aware of suspicious activities related to your return, and find out if you're eligible to apply for an IRS identity protection PIN. Very important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. Every day, we put our information at risk on the internet. In an instant, a cybercriminal could harm what's yours, your finances and your credit. Good thing, there's LifeLock. LifeLock helps detect a wide range of identity threats like your social security number for sale on the dark web. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, no one's after my data. No one's after my identity. I used to think that way. It's just not true. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but you can keep what's yours with LifeLock identity theft protection. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year by going to lifelock.com slash Knowles. That is lifelock.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S for 25% off. Same newspaper, same laws, same policy, just stimulus for Americans from the coronavirus but different political party in power. So when it's Joe Biden, the headline from the Washington Post is Biden's stimulus showers money on Americans sharply cutting poverty and favoring individuals over businesses. When that president is Donald Trump, the headline in the Washington Post is in unprecedented move, treasury orders Trump's name printed on stimulus checks. Hmm. One of those seems more favorable than the other. That's not it though. Washington Post also when Trump was signing COVID relief. Quote, Trump signs $2 trillion coronavirus bill into law as companies and households brace for more economic pain. Brace for pain. Money will be showered over you, cutting poverty and favoring individuals. Brace for pain. Same law, same newspaper. Is it any wonder that people do not trust our established elites? When people question the coronavirus policies, for instance, when people question certain mandates on the vaccine, talk perhaps of mandates on the, on the vaccine, certainly existing mandates on the masks, on social distancing, 
Are people really so crazy to question the wisdom of our benevolent betters? When people say, hmm, maybe there were some irregularities in the election, and then our elites just come down and they say, there was absolutely nothing wrong. We would never lie to you. Everything is totally hunky-dory, even though we changed uh, very important election integrity measures right before the 2020 election. Is it any wonder that people might not believe those elites? You know, the, the governor of Mississippi, Tate Reeves, has been really, really impressive uh, of late. And uh, Tate Reeves goes on Jake Tapper's show. He wants to talk about reopening Mississippi, where their focus is. But Jake Tapper wants to get one thing clear first. Are you willing to say, are you willing to go on record and say that there was absolutely nothing suspect whatsoever, not even a jot or tittle with the 2020 presidential election? Former President Trump and his allies have now for months and months continued to spread the false and dangerous lie that the election was stolen. You were not part of that campaign. But I want to ask you a simple yes or no question because your answer a few weeks ago to a colleague kind of raised my eyebrows. Do you accept that Joe Biden is the legitimate, lawfully accepted, lawfully elected president of the United States? President Biden is the president of the United States. But was he legitimately uh, in our state, and we don't allow mail-in voting? Was he, was this the most legitimate election ever with the most integrity and there's absolutely no questions whatsoever? Will you say it? Will you say it? Goodness gracious, it is so difficult to put up with watching Jake Tapper. It's so hard to do it. I only do it for you because I know that I have to relate these things to you, dear listener, which is why I will do it. But otherwise I would never watch this man who is raising this question. I think in the minds of some other people who are skeptical of our elites, which is if this is the most totally hunky dory election of all time, and there were no questions whatsoever, anywhere, even on the smallest scale of fraud or irregularities or illegal election procedures, all of which we've detailed pretty regularly on this show. If that's the case, why is it so important to you, Jake Tapper, that this governor says exactly what you want him to say? If it's so clear, if it's so obvious that there were no questions whatsoever, why does every Republican politician have to repeat this kind of mantra? The 2020 election was totally perfect and there were no questions. Why do we have to keep repeating that ad nauseum? Why do you need to deplatform anybody that in any way suggests that, huh, maybe it was a little weird that the Pennsylvania election officials violated their state constitution with the mail-in votes? Why, why are we not allowed to say that? Why is the governor of Mississippi not allowed to raise these sorts of questions on the air? Is it maybe because you're a little insecure about the 2020 election? Not saying that the result in the end was different than it would have been. I'm just saying it is undeniable that the election was highly irregular, that the, the processes for the election were upended in the days and weeks before, that election integrity measures were stripped away, that it was the strangest election in our lifetimes. Why aren't we allowed to say that? Governor Reeves continues. In our state, we do not allow mail-in voting. And the reason we don't allow mail-in voting is because we don't think um, that it, we think that it allows for lots of opportunities for fraud and other things. And I don't think mail-in voting should be allowed in other states around the nation. But President Biden is the, the duly elected president. And we're going to do everything we can to work with him uh, to help the citizens of Mississippi. 
Even that is not enough for Jake Tapper. He keeps going back. He's like, yeah, but say that Biden's great. Say he's awesome. Say the election was totally perfect. But what the governor is saying here is absolutely right. Mail-in voting is a direct threat to our democracy, which dies in darkness. I am reliably informed by the Washington Post. And we should not have widespread mail-in voting. Barack Obama was saying that not so long ago. Everybody agreed with that. It's just obvious. But now we're not allowed to say obvious things because this power grab has become so transparent. Turning from good governors, like the governor of Mississippi, to bad governors, like Andrew Cuomo. Cuomo is really, really in hot water right now. Uh, Two more women have come forward. I think the number now is up to five. Some of these claims are fairly dubious. I actually want to be fair to Cuomo. Some seem a little vague, okay? But really what this is about is booting out the guy after he got exposed for his failures and cover up on COVID. And there is a little schadenfreude. Even if conservatives think that this Me Tooing of Andrew Cuomo is at least formally just as distasteful as the Me Tooing of other people, the schadenfreude is really great. For instance, when the Dems use these kind of tactics on Brett Kavanaugh with far less credibility to them, Andrew Cuomo was all for it. There is a disrespect for women that this administration chronically uh, exemplifies. After the Me Too movement, they did absolutely nothing when it came to sexual harassment. Uh, They have always diminished the charges of women. Always. Consistently. And they're doing it again. This administration is so terrible to women. They never even compliment the high heels worn by women around the office. They never would even greet their secretary with a nice little kiss just to be polite. They never offer reporters in the room a nice delicious hot dog and then tell them they got to finish it. Well, well, they're watching. They're terrible, terrible to women. And uh, so it's wonderful to watch (laughs) Andrew Cuomo kind of squirm, even though I think it's preposterous the way that they're going after him. This is all about the nursing homes. The real scandal is that Andrew Cuomo, with the applause of the entire Democratic establishment, not just the elected officials, not even just the bureaucrats and the activists, but the media as well. Andrew Cuomo's policies were the absolute deadliest COVID policies in the entire country. They needlessly killed thousands and thousands of elderly New Yorkers. Then he knew about it. We now know he knew about it because we know that he tried to cover it up while he was publishing a book on leadership lessons from COVID-19. During all of this, Democrats had him speak at their national convention. The, the mainstream media uh, sh- sexually harassed Andrew Cuomo, for goodness sakes. They should have had some Me Too allegations against them. They were so hot for this guy. And now, to distract from all of that and to go after him for a more palatable reason, now we're told it's because he complimented his secretary or tried to kiss some girl or something which inappropriate though it may be, not even in the same stratosphere, not even, not even in the same galaxy from the COVID 
scandal. But because they're masterful machine politicians in New York, Andrew Cuomo included, but certainly the state representatives up in Albany, the Democratic leaders in New York are calling for Andrew Cuomo to resign. AOC kicked this off a little while ago, and you heard some Democrats at the national level start to float this. They say, we need an investigation, right? They stopped totally defending Cuomo. Their crush ended. But now that the powers that actually matter, the political pressure in New York, is coming after Cuomo and saying, hey, buddy, you're causing us a whole lot of headaches. This is not going to work for us anymore. So you need to step down. Andrew Cuomo remaining defiant. If you want to remain defiant in the face of high prices on your auto parts, then you should go check out rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, Prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why on earth would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Why on earth would you subject yourself to the indignity and degradation of going into the brick and mortar auto parts store and having some punk behind the counter ask you all these questions about your car you don't know the answers to, then he goes in the back, they never have the part, they order it online, probably from Rock Auto, and then they charge you twice as much. Do not save yourself that humiliation just go to rockauto.com. They've got a great selection. They've got reliably low prices. They don't have a ton of gimmicks going up and down. You got to order it on Tuesday at two o'clock. None of that. And the website is so easy. Even I can navigate it. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Then write Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S in their how did you hear about us box so that they know we sent you. The Senate majority leader in the state of New York, Andrea Stewart Cousins, is saying, quote, Every day there is another account that is drawing away from the business of government. We have allegations about sexual harassment, a toxic work environment, the loss of credibility surrounding the COVID-19 nursing home data, and questions about the construction of a major infrastructure product. For the good of the state, Andrew Cuomo must resign. Pretty, there were actually some misspellings in here because some of, some of these Democrat state politicians, not the brightest bulbs in the pack. But if you take that aside, this is an absolutely brilliant political statement here. Because notice what she did. It's, it's the sandwich. It's the classic sandwich strategy of scandals. This woman says, you know, Andrew Cuomo, he, he didn't call his grandma when he was supposed to call his grandma. And he was very rude to Mrs. Bethany across the street. And he also killed thousands of people and covered it up. And he also uh, didn't show up to church on Sunday at the time that he said he would. And so that's why we need to kick him out of the office. And you say, hold, wait, what was that? Oh yeah. I said he didn't show up to church to the, to the, the mass he said he was going to show up to. So no, before that, oh yes, he gave a really mean look to his neighbor. No, after that, oh, oh uh, yeah, he killed thousands of elderly New Yorkers and then covered it up. And now there's an FBI or a federal probe into it. Oh, that's the scandal. Right. All the rest of this was just sort of a sandwich because you guys don't want to deal with the failure of your policies, not just Andrew Cuomo's, but yours broadly. Because you guys were in on this sort of stuff. State Assembly leader in New York, Democrat Carl Heasty says, we have many challenges to address and I think it is time for the governor to seriously consider whether he can effectively meet the needs of the people of New York. So Trump has now, or Cuomo rather, 
They're both kind of tough talking New Yorkers. So that's an interesting sort of Freudian slip. Cuomo has lost his base of support. Who is his support now? All the people propping this guy up so implausibly have fled him. So is Cuomo going to resign? No way. Cuomo comes out and, and he says, I think this is actually a pretty good defense. He says, I was elected by the people of the state. I wasn't elected by politicians. I'm not going to resign because of allegations. The premise of resigning because of allegations is actually anti-democratic. Anybody has the ability to make an allegation in a democracy, and that's great, but it's in the credibility of the allegation. Wow, where was this guy during the Kavanaugh scandal, huh? Where was that? Wow, this Andrew Cuomo is pretty level-headed. I actually give him credit for not stepping down. To be clear, Andrew Cuomo should not be in office, not because he winked at his secretary, but because he killed all the, new, the, the elderly New Yorkers. For the cover-up, the guy possibly should be wearing an orange jumpsuit. There should at least be a serious investigation into it. But just as a bare-knuckle political matter, I, I have to give the guy credit for refusing to resign because the point he's making is legitimate. I was not elected by politicians who are vying and jockeying for power. Politicians are also the people who are making many of these allegations, right? I was elected by the people and resigning over allegations is anti-democratic. I actually sort of agree with that in a way. We have accountability measures in this country. They happen at the ballot box. Now we're losing election integrity uh, protections, which is not good. But I, I, I think that's very important. When the left in this country hated Richard Nixon, they got rid of a, They tried to get rid of him at the ballot box. They probably stole the 1960 election, but that's a topic for another day. Then they tried to get rid of him at the ballot box in 68. Didn't work. Then they tried to get rid of him at the ballot box in 72. Doesn't work. So what do they do? They get some deep stater to toss him out of office because some crook couldn't tape a door correctly sort of minor political scandal that both sides have been doing for a very long time. That is anti-democratic. You saw similar things with Trump. They tried to beat Trump in 2016. It doesn't work. So they just try to throw him out of office. They gin up a bunch of scandals. They try to impeach him. They do all this. That is actually anti-democratic. And as we all know from the Washington Post, democracy dies in darkness. Cuomo has a lot of people furious at him, even on the left, because people don't understand this if they're not if they haven't spent some time in New York and they haven't looked at New York politics, Cuomo is in some ways one of the more conservative figures in New York. He's still an absolute horrible leftist who lit the New York City buildings up in pink when he could celebrate the expansion of abortion in that state, right? And Cuomo's a horrible, horrible guy. But by New York standards, he's actually somewhat conservative. And so a lot of the leftists in the state don't really like him very much. Teachers don't really, teachers unions don't really like him very much. There are a whole lot of forces there. So we'll see how this plays out. It's, it's hard to imagine he survives much longer like this. But you are noticing the narrative changing here. You're noticing the narrative about Cuomo beginning to change. You're noticing the, the narrative more broadly about COVID changing. The head of the American Federation of Teachers, Randy Weingarten, this organization that is doing its damnedest to keep schools closed in America, is now trying to change the narrative, speaking with another Cuomo, Fredo Cuomo on CNN, saying, what, who, us? 
No, we don't want to keep the schools closed. No, all you got is a big misunderstanding. We're actually trying to open the schools. My union has been trying to reopen schools since last April. We know how important in-school learning is. But we had a president who refused to collect data, give us the guidance that the CDC has just given us, and given us the resources. These are the three things. And I was on your show. I begged for it for months and months and months. And ultimately what's happening is that between some of the resources we already got in December, which is starting to be out there, the resources in the Rescue Act, this vaccine announcement and the CDC guidance, you've already seen in the last few weeks a turnaround that all the school districts that had closed in November or December because of the surge are now reopened. So this defense from the American Federation of Teachers is one of the most outrageous examples of gaslighting I've seen in recent years. And we've gotten a whole lot of it in around the inauguration, around the election, around the entire year of 2020, practically. She says, look, we want to go back. We've been trying to go back since April. We've just been waiting for guidance from the CDC. CDC has been issuing guidance, I think, the whole time. Well, we've just, because of the bungled COVID policies of Trump, Trump led the development of a vaccine in world record time and got you a vaccine really before the election, but at the very least we can say within days after the election. The election was in early November. It's now March. What is the holdup? And they say, no, we just need more protections, more, but we're trying to reopen. We're following the science. All the studies show that the transmission of the virus is not any higher in schools than it is anywhere else. All the science shows the kids are not particularly vulnerable to the thing. Well, no, we're just, we're just trying so hard. We're just, yeah, okay. Is it any wonder, is it any wonder that people have no faith in their elites? When we just get lied to, when we get gaslit by these sorts of people, not just the electeds, though we get gaslit by them, but by the media and by union bosses such as this woman. There was just a vote. The LA teacher union just had a vote. Should we go back to work? Simple enough question. 91% of LA teacher union members voted not to go back to work. And the way they're pitching it, they say, this vote signals that in these trying times, our members will not accept a rushed return that would endanger the safety of educators, students, and families. That's according to the LA teacher union president, Cecily Myart Cruz. A rushed return. This has been going on for a year. Oh, we can't, it was supposed to be two weeks. Oh, uh, we can't rush it though. It's been an extra 50 weeks, but we can't, we don't want to rush it. It could endanger the safety of students. Students are at statistically zero risk from this virus. The same is basically true of educators and and families as well, but certainly of the students, statistically like nothing. It it raises this question, are there any elites less likable than these teacher union bosses? And they're actually... The answer to that is yes. 
princesses and billionaire talk show hosts. Meghan Markle sitting down for a wild interview with Oprah, which actually does affect U.S. politics. It seems like it doesn't, but, but it does. Ben's going to be talking about this, but first I'm going to be talking about this because I'm a little more sympathetic to the crown than uh, some of my more libertarian pals over here uh, at the Daily Wire and, and broadly in the United States. I'm, I'm more sympathetic to them. And this Meghan Markle thing is just so hideous. It exposes not just what's wrong with British politics, it really exposes what's wrong with American politics. What if the police could go on strike at a moment's notice? What if firefighters could go on strike at a moment's notice? The military, imagine the kind of disruption and chaos that would create. These are the dangerous scenarios associated with public sector unions. In the latest episode of the new series Debunked, Ben Shapiro will break down all of the known lies and platitudes that most people are fed with regard to unions. This latest episode, which dropped this past weekend, covers all of that and more, but here's the but. You've got to be a Daily Wire subscriber to watch. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code debunked to get 25% off your new membership. That is code debunked for 25% off at dailywire.com slash subscribe. We will be right back with a lot more. There is, by my calculation, not a single thing less appealing than listening to a Hollywood actress complain to a billionaire talk show host about how hard it was to be a princess. That is the actual mathematical, perfectly least likable thing that I think anyone could possibly do. Meghan Markle sits down with her poor, poor husband and talks to Oprah about all the dirty laundry from the royal family. There was no guidance as well, right? Mm -hmm. There were certain things that you couldn't do, but, you know, unlike what you see in the movies, there's no class on how to how to speak, how to cross your legs, how to be royal. There's none of that training. That might exist for other members of the family. That was not something that was offered to me. So nobody tells you anything? No. Nobody prepares you? No, no I mean, it's, it's, no, but even down, yeah, sorry, but even down to like the national anthem, no yeah. one thought to say, oh, you're American. You're not going to know that. That's me late at night Googling, how, what's the national, I've got to learn this. I don't want to embarrass them. I need to learn these 30 mm-hmm. hymns for a church. All of this is televised. We were doing the training behind the scenes because I just wanted to make them proud. I just, I just wanted to make them proud. And that is why I'm sitting down with you, Oprah, to say that these are the worst people on earth because I'm just, I just care and I want to make them proud. It's just, you know, it's crazy. All I wanted to do, all I wanted to do as a divorced American actress was become a princess in another country and they expect me to learn the national anthem? Uh, what? Is that crazy? What? What do they think I have? Google? What do they, what do they think? That I can like look it up? That's crazy. It's, I need, well, actually, you know what? Shut up. Shut up, Harry. S- stop it. It's just ridiculous. You know, I, you see, am a victim, says the princess. So President Trump, as always, summed this up a couple of years ago. He, w- he was asked about some criticism that Meghan Markle had made of him. She was not at that time uh, attacking the 
con- the government and the royalty of her adopted country. She was attacking her own government. And President Trump, I thought, uh, had the most compassionate and precise take on Meghan Markle that one can muster. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle uh, chimed in on the U.S. election and essentially encouraged people to vote for Joe Biden. I wanted to get your reaction to that. I'm not a fan of hers. And uh, I would say this, and she probably has heard that, but uh, I wish a lot of luck to Harry because he's going to need it. (laughs) He's going to need it. That poor guy does need it. This woman comes in. The reason I mentioned, by the way, that she's divorced is she is entering into the royal family of a country with a state church. So that's actually a big problem. And rather than say, oh my gosh, thank you for making this exception. I know this is bad. I know it's, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be doing this here in the royal family. Instead, she complains about having to learn hymns. What, they expect me to learn the hymns? because I'm entering into the family that runs the state church? Come on, give me a break. Poor, poor Harry. So because she doesn't like it, because it turns out that being a royal is not just about glitz and glamour and putting a tiara on, because she found out it actually involves duty and work. You know, very difficult sort of chores, like learning the national anthem of your country, (laughs) of your new country. Because of that, she made her husband leave his family and abdicate all of his duty, all of his responsibility to the country that had been so good to him and that he was born for. She's like, no, we got to go because I want to do voiceovers in Disney cartoons or something. So they leave. Now they're in LA. They get to keep a lot of money and poor Harry is just struggling through. Now they're attacking his family on television. And the minute he tries to interject, she tells him to keep quiet. But then she talks about real struggles. And this, I actually, I don't want to make light of this. I just want to show how perverse our our thinking of this is. As Meghan Markle says, this was so tough to be a princess that I contemplated suicide. And she very well may have. People in Hollywood are unstable people, generally speaking. And maybe she just couldn't take it. Maybe she did not, she had a completely different vision of what it meant to be a royal. Maybe she thought it was all about privilege and not at all about duty and responsibility. So she was genuinely shocked and she just couldn't handle it. We had to go to this event and I remember him saying, I don't think you can go. And I said, I can't be left alone. Because you were afraid of what you might do to yourself. And we went and that's so sorry to hear that. And that picture, if you zoom in what I see is how tightly his knuckles are gripped around mine. You can see the whites of our knuckles because we are smiling and doing our job, but we're both just trying to hold on. And every time that those lights went down in that royal box, I was just weeping. And he was gripping my hand and then it was, okay, intermission's coming. It takes so much courage to admit that you need help. Mm -hmm. It takes so much courage to voice that. So before I criticize what she has to say here, there is truth to this. It does take courage to admit when you need help. This is part of the process of recognizing our own brokenness in in our human nature, right? This This is a central fact of a Christian life is 
having the courage to recognize you are not perfect, that you need help, that you are a miserable sinner, and that you cannot fix your brokenness on your own, right? That's actually a keen insight. And unfortunately, in our now secularized culture, a lot of people don't understand that, and so they're not willing to get help. And that's, that's why there actually is some legitimately, legitimacy to this idea that we need to reach out. We need to, you know, muster the courage to recognize our own inner problems. Sure. All true. Whether or not going on Oprah Winfrey's show to whine about your husband's family that you made him essentially divorce, whether that is helpful to your inner struggle, um, it seems a little dubious to me. But the principle, fair enough. There's a flip side, though, to all this talk about the courage to muster the strength to just think about yourself all the time. The flip side of that is it also takes courage to do your duty. It also takes courage to fulfill your responsibilities to other people and not just yourself. When you marry into the royal family, it's not as though, you know, on the fifth date or something, Harry sits Megan down and says, you know, you know, love, you know, the problem, love, I have something to admit to you. Uh, I'm a prince of England. What, Harry? Yes, uh, dearie, I know you thought I was a, a motorcycle mechanic, but actually I'm a prince. Oh my gosh. Well, we'll make it through, Harry. Well, I hope that we can survive this because I love you and I had no idea that you were a prince. Now, I think she knew from the beginning. She just was, it would seem, only focused on the glitz and the glamour and the privilege of it all. But it is a weighty, weighty responsibility. I think too many of our elites, forget Meghan Markle for a second, too many of our elites don't understand this. They think when you become prominent in, I don't know, politics or the media or this, that, or the other thing, it's just all about privilege. It's just all about glitz and glamour. They don't want to recognize the duty and the responsibility and the gravity and the weight of that. If you forget about being a royal where your entire life is duty, it's why I, I can't get on board with the, the kind of conservative American hatred for the royals, you know, or all the jokes about the royals. Well, they live in palaces. They have fancy clothing. The, the royals' lives are very difficult. <laughs> From the moment they are born, their entire life is just about serving the country and doing whatever the country needs them to do. And it might seem kind of frivolous because it's photo ops and it's opening up different markets and things like that and welcoming foreign dignitaries. But you are born into a very specific job with a ton of media scrutiny and you can never change it unless you abdicate like Harry because he met this American wife. Unless you abdicate and bring shame on yourself, you just have to do that job. Most of us don't even want to do the job that we chose for our entire lives. A lot of people, they start doing a job and they're like, I kind of want to do something else. Maybe they start doing something else within the broader industry. Maybe they switch careers, right? You don't get to switch careers if you're a royal. You don't get to just do whatever you want all the time. You have to focus on that responsibility. But none of our elites in this country seem willing to do that takes courage to confront inner challenges, also takes courage to confront outer challenges. There are a lot of outer challenges that require real courage, not just looking in on ourselves, though that's important sometimes, but looking out. In this country, a huge one 
is that our elites who have taken all that power feel no responsibility to our American traditions or the American people broadly. They consider the American people to be deplorable, irredeemable, bitter clinging rubes and idiots and neo-Nazis who should not be able to speak in public, up to and including the former president of the United States. Donald Trump gave a speech at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, where he talked about many of the problems facing the country, questions about the election, what he might do in 2024. YouTube will not permit this video on the internet. So there was a, a channel, just one channel among many, posted the video. They had it taken down. They were not, not allowed to broadcast it. Then there was a question, was it just this channel or is YouTube more broadly? YouTube has now clarified. They've said that unless users add countervailing viewpoints about Trump's speech, they won't allow Trump's speech up there. So for instance, I could play Trump's speech right now on this channel as long as after he talks, I say, he's wrong. He's bad. Orange man bad. If I do that, then I'm allowed to have Trump's speech on YouTube. But if I don't, or if I say, yeah, well, I made some pretty good points, that video will be taken down. YouTube says, we enforce our community guidelines consistently, regardless of speaker or political leaning. They're just as consistent, I think, as the Washington Post. Joe Biden showers money on Americans. Trump braces us all for economic pain. In accordance with our established presidential election integrity policy, established as of what, like five minutes ago, which prohibits content uploaded after the safe Harvard deadline, claiming widespread fraud uh, changed the outcome of the 2020 U.S. presidential election, we removed this video from RSBN. They're, they're barely even mustering a justification for this. They never took down any videos of Stacey Abrams and other people claiming that that election was stolen because Stacey Abrams is a Democrat. They never took down any videos of Hillary Clinton and other prominent Democrats claiming that that election was stolen after the safe harbor deadline because those people are Democrats. But they will take down any, any speech that they find threatening to their political agenda from Donald Trump or other Republicans because they enjoy the privileges of being elites and controlling the flow of information around the internet, but they have no sense of responsibility to the American way of life. They actually don't like those American traditions. They want to get rid of those and institute their own new guidelines. This is the thesis of my book, which I explain in painstaking detail. It's called Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. I, I actually do sort of suspect that this book is going to face censorship from the left. Not because it's some outrageous, raucous, shock jock kind of book. It's not at all. But I think that's actually the point. The book very consistently shows you what the left has done, how the development of this political correctness and this censorship is different than conservatives have traditionally understood it. And, and the book, I think, explains how if we, if we want to fight it effectively, which we haven't done for now a hundred years, uh, we need to radically change course. I think they're probably going to go after that sort of thing. So I recommend you pre-order it, by the way, uh, before, before they take it down. Because the left is now emboldened to use their privilege to stop any threats to their rule, up to and including Dr. Seuss. Now, we, we're all joking about Dr. Seuss. Oh, my, the left is so crazy. The tolerant left is so crazy that now they're, they're 
taking down Dr. Seuss books. Gosh, isn't this hilarious? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny, I guess. It's also very, very dangerous, and it makes absolute sense in the left-wing system. Now, what some people are going to tell you is, well, look, after they took down those Dr. Seuss books, Dr. Seuss skyrocketed to the charts, top of the charts. See, the free market wins. No, not really. Sure, I guess we're going to put some more money in the pockets of the Dr. Seuss publishers who were censoring him in the first place, which seems kind of crazy to me. But also, they're, they're not going to start publishing the book again. They're just going to squeeze a little bit of more, more money out of it at the very end, and then they're going to continue to censor those old beloved books. Kevin McCarthy, leader in the, uh, the Republican House, right? The minority leader among Republicans in the House of Representatives. He decided to go after this kind of craziness. He was going to read some Dr. Seuss books on camera. Green Eggs and Ham by Dr. Seuss. I am Sam. I am Sam. Sam I am. That's Sam I am, that's Sam I am. I do not like that Sam I am. Do you like green eggs and ham? I do not like them, Sam I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. Okay, you, you get the point. What's funny, of course, is that uh, Senator Cruz did this exact thing years ago. I think, he, I think it was like eight years ago during some of his absolute wonderful uh, per- performances on the floor of the Senate, you know, trying to hold up Obamacare, trying to hold up really bad legislation. He, uh, uh, Ted Cruz famously read Green Eggs and Ham. So that, that's great. And Kevin McCarthy clearly has uh, good taste in literature, I guess. But I, I, I felt this fell flat. I'm giving this as constructive criticism because I like Kevin McCarthy, but I felt this fell flat because the left is not censoring Green Eggs and Ham. They're not. Green Eggs and Ham is now at the top of the charts on Amazon. But what the left is censoring is a handful of books, the Mulberry Street books, a few other Dr. Seuss books that they feel are racially insensitive, politically incorrect. So I looked at some of the books and I I don't think they are. There's there's a drawing that's allegedly racist of a Chinese man. And this is very offensive because he's got a traditional Chinese hat on or something. It's not, there's, there's not, compared to other Dr. Seuss cartoons, there's nothing offensive about this cartoon. So it seems to me, if we want to fight back against this sort of thing, it's not that we should read Green Eggs and Ham. We should read that book, right? If, if our argument really is that these books, these handful of books that the left is saying are racially offensive, if we're saying, no, they're not, they're not, everybody needs to get over themselves and just not cancel everybody for the slightest, silliest reason, then we should be reading those books. That, that would be much more provocative. And I think it would, it would make a far greater defense, but people don't want to do that because so many conservatives, I'm not accusing Kevin McCarthy of this. Might've just been, he was reading one of the most popular Dr. Seuss books, but a lot of conservatives will talk a good game on political correctness, but they're not willing to actually get in there and determine what things we should say and what things we shouldn't say. This is another topic I go into at great detail in my book. I don't think that the conservative response to political correctness should be to say all sorts of terribly offensive things. I don't think the conservative response to political correctness is to start using the N word, you know, all the time in polite conversation. That's, to me, that's not 
maybe it's politically incorrect to me. It's just quite rude (laughs) to do. So I don't think the answer to political correctness is rudeness. I think the answer to political correctness is stating things that are perfectly just, true, acceptable without fear of the left-wing mob. It's going out there and saying things like men are not women or saying things like, I don't know, if you're reading the Dr. Seuss book, saying things like different cultures wear different sort of clothing. That, that sort of thing is very important to go in there and actually make these statements, but people don't want to do it. They want to shy away from that sort of thing. Meanwhile, Dr. Seuss is not the only, only cartoonist under fire. The cat in the hat is not the only <laughs> victim of cancel culture. Pepe Le Pew. Pepe, you're, you know, Pepe Le Pew, he's that sort of girl crazy snake or uh, skunk rather from, from the old cartoons. Pepe Le Pew is uh, being accused of perpetuating rape culture, according to Charles Blow at the New York Times, which is on the same tier of journalism as the Washington Post. Charles Blow writes, some of the first cartoons I can remember included Pepe Le Pew, who normalized rape culture. Blow then followed this up. He said, right-wing blogs are mad because I said Pepe Le Pew added to rape culture. Let's see. One, he grabs, kisses a girl stranger repeatedly without consent and against her will. She struggles mightily to get away from him but he won't release her. Three, he locks a door to prevent her from escaping. Boom. There it is. Lock him up. Lock up that skunk. Pepe Le Pew. He did it. Seems to me no one has ever committed rape because a cartoon skunk told them that it was okay. I'm willing to go out on a limb and say that. But I actually don't think that that is why they want to cancel Pepe Le Pew or any sort of old cartoons that in any way contradict the ever-changing dictates of political correctness. I think it's something deeper than that. I think it's because, one, the the left has a point when they talk about anti-racist babies. They actually do have a point. Our brains are forming when we're very little. That's why we educate children more than we educate adults. It's because you can shape those brains. So, so sure, that, that matters. Also, because these cartoons subtly are questioning the premises of political correctness. It's exaggerated and sort of ridiculous with Pepe Le Pew. But what is, what is being exaggerated? What's being exaggerated is that men find women attractive. That men and women are different. They are complementary. Men pursue women in a way that women do not pursue men because men and women relate to sex and romance differently. That's the problem. That's what the left doesn't like. That's what is a threat to the left-wing agenda. Not because anyone thinks a skunk is getting people to commit rape. What's offensive in those Dr. Seuss books? Well, the Dr. Seuss books are saying different cultures are different. They have different customs, different traditions. It's not all just the same bland secular liberalism. That's the threat. That's the big threat here. And these are, you don't need to defend a, a Pepe Le Pew's rape culture to say, wait a second here, guys. We need to keep these old cartoons, these old jokes, this old fun. Because one, the, these, these jokes, this levity, this artwork embellishes life, makes it much more interesting but also because there are, there are some premises in here and they're deeper and they're basic and they're absolutely just and they're absolutely defensible. But our elites, they do not want to do that. I don't even know if they can muster the argument for that. Is there any 
Is there any uh, question why people are losing faith in their institutions, in their rituals, in their system of government? I don't think it's the people's fault. I think it's the fault of this desiccated, shallow elite that refuses to take on any sort of responsibility to the people. And when the elite are not responsive to the people, we hear about this in the Federalist Papers, then society starts to break down. Let's see if we can build it back up. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup by Nika Geneva. And production coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, Meghan Markle accuses the royal family of racism. Joe Biden blows out the spending with a $1.9 trillion bill, and the media insists that censorship isn't censorship, so long as the stuff being censored is the stuff they don't like. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Mm-hmm.